All right. Oh, is it not on? Oh. <laughs> Well, as Brent said, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and it's, uh, it's great to be here this Easter Sunday morning uh, and uh, to preach God's Word. What a privilege uh, to proclaim the Word of God on, uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, on any day. So <laughs> where if you've got a Bible, you may want to turn in it to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. Uh, in a moment, we'll read through the first 20 verses. And we'll refer to some other verses as well in that same passage. But it's pretty much the passage we're going to be in this morning. And uh, in this passage, Paul is going to be reminding the Corinthian church of some uh, key truths. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, not only that, he's telling them that what they believe about the resurrection of Jesus has huge implications on their lives either way. And uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to examine the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to ask whether it's simply a myth, like the Easter Bunny, a nice story to remember every year. doesn't make a scrap of difference to our lives. Uh, totally irrelevant, <laughs> apart from chocolate. Um, or whether it's the most important historical event ever, which has eternal implications for us. So a bit of a spoiler alert. I'm going to argue it's the latter. Um, and if it is, it's going to have huge implications for each one of us. So well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15 and read the first 20 verses, which say this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it's I or they... This is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? This is for everyone, not just for Christ. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith's futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. All right, let's come back to the start. So, Paul is writing this letter to the church in the city of Corinth in and around AD 55. It's just over 20 years since the death of Jesus. So just 20 years on from the death of Jesus. Paul had been with them in Corinth, and uh, since he'd left, they'd got into all sorts of problems with what they were doing, with what they were believing. This is just one of the issues, a major issue that they were having. Some of them had begun to doubt that there was a physical resurrection from the dead of their bodies when Jesus returned, or um, they would be raised from the dead themselves when Jesus returned. And so when some of them, when some of the believers had begun to die, because this is 20 years on, so some of the believers are starting to die, that's what it refers to as them falling asleep. It doesn't mean they're just bored and uh, didn't get a good night's sleep the night before, like some of you may be uh, feeling to fall asleep. It's talking about dying. Um, some of them had started to die, and others of them thought, well, hey, maybe, maybe there is no resurrection. I mean, Jesus hasn't returned yet. What's going on? Maybe, maybe we don't get raised from the dead ourselves. And so they began to live as though their short life on earth was all that there was. This is all that we've got in life. I mean, does that sound familiar? It's the way that most people live today. Make the most of your life. We have 70 years maybe if we get a good stretch, whatever it may be, but we've got to pack as much pleasure and entertainment into our life, satisfaction, fulfillment as we can. I mean, our body's going to wear out eventually, sooner rather than later, so it doesn't really matter if we start to damage it with, with drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. As long as if that gives us pleasure, that's okay, because this is all we've got. That's how most people would live their lives. But Paul is saying to the Corinthians who've believed in the resurrection and who believe the truth about Jesus, he's saying, hang on a minute, wait up. If there's no resurrection of our bodies, actually that means that Jesus didn't even rise from the dead either. And that's got some big implications too. Now, it's an interesting way of addressing it, isn't it? Because he's, they're doubting their own resurrection and, and Paul is pointing them to Jesus' resurrection and saying, but hang on, that doesn't make sense because if we're not raised, that means Jesus wasn't raised. And you all know that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, it's not the angle most people would come at today because um, a lot of people would just say, well, I don't even believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I don't even believe that Jesus lived and died. People would doubt those things today, even though actually there's massive historical evidence to show that Jesus lived and died. Pretty much every uh, historian would, would say, yeah, of course, Jesus of Nazareth lived a life and he died and he was crucified on the cross. That would go without any question whatsoever. But remember the Corinthians, they were living just 20 years after Jesus had lived and died. Just 20 years. They knew for certain that Jesus had lived. They knew for certain that he died. It would be like arguing today that Princess Diana had never lived or died. It was just about 20 years ago, just over 20 years ago, since Princess Diana died in her 30s. Similar to Jesus dying in his 30s 20 years 
later. You know, it, it would be ridiculous to say, well, I don't even believe that she lived. I don't believe that she died. Well, of course she did. We know that now. I mean, even later on, when the Gospels were written, you know, 30, 40 years after Jesus had died, that's equivalent to saying, oh, well, Terry Fox, I don't believe Terry Fox ever lived, you know. Well, yeah, of course he lived. There's people who knew him. There's people who were with him. He's got relatives who are still alive. That was where they were in Corinth. That was where the Corinthians were at. They knew that Jesus had risen from the dead because people who were still alive at the time would have known and experienced that firsthand. They would have met Jesus when he'd been raised from the dead. And so Paul is reminding them of these things. And then he's going to say, and, and, and therefore you will too. He's reminding them of all these facts that they already know. Remember, Jesus appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to 500 different people, and most of them are still alive today. You can go and you can talk to them about it. They'll tell you their story. Then he appeared to James, who was Jesus' brother. Then all the apostles at Pentecost. Last of all, he appeared to me personally. Uh, Paul himself. The Corinthians know all this stuff. They don't need persuading of it. But we might need persuading of it because we're 2,000 years on. We're a long way after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So before we get into what Paul's saying about how relevant it is, that's what we're going to look at today, the relevance of the resurrection. Before we get into that today, uh, let's look briefly at some of the facts about the resurrection and even apply some critical thinking just to show this is a historical event. This isn't just something that people in the, in the past were believing and deluded about. This is a historical event. So let's look at some of these things that, uh, that Paul is saying here. He starts off by saying Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. In other words, there was a tomb. There's accounts of Jesus' life and death in the Gospels, and they tell us that it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Uh, a rich follower of Jesus. Um, and they also talk about the tomb being empty on the first Easter Sunday when a group of women went down to just anoint uh, the body and, uh, with, with spices. And they went and the tomb was empty and they saw Jesus raised from the dead. Now, Paul doesn't mention these women here who were the first to see Jesus, possibly because actually women didn't have... Um, they didn't have any authority in a court of law. They couldn't even testify. What they said in, at the time wasn't taken seriously. It held no weight. That's actually a strong argument why the gospel writers aren't just making this stuff up. Because if they were going to make up a story of Jesus being raised from the dead, why would they put some women who people would at the time have said, well, we, we don't... That was, they would have put someone who was in a great authority there who would have witnessed it. Oh, this... This person saw it. No, they had women. They wouldn't make that up unless it was actually true. But what happens when someone has died and gets buried? Well, what happens, especially if they're well-known or well-honored, people go and they visit the tomb. People go and bring flowers. We lay flowers. We have memorabilia. We go and gather. We weep together over at the tomb, at the grave. We light candles. We might sing songs. We might have vigils. But we know from early history of the church uh, and, and history at that time, no one ever did that. No one ever made anything of the tomb that Jesus was laid in. 
It didn't become some holy place that people visited. Well, why not? Well, because he wasn't there. Because Jesus wasn't there anymore. If you wanted to see Jesus, you just went to see Jesus because he was alive. And people were seeing him alive. So no one's going to go to the tomb because he's not there anymore. And then Paul's saying, well, Jesus appeared to Peter and the 12. Well, what effect did that have? What effect did it have on Peter and the 12? Well, no longer were they fearful people. No longer were they in hiding and fear for their life. They began speaking about Jesus. They began preaching about Jesus dying. They began saying, Jesus died so we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be reconciled to God. They began preaching that he'd been raised from the dead. And they started doing miracles in his name. And what happened was the Jewish authorities at the time tried to shut them up. They tried to get them to be quiet by threatening them. They said, look, we will kill you if you don't stop preaching about this Jesus. But it didn't work because they knew that their Lord and Master had had defeated death. And so they knew that they would too. So a threat to kill them is no threat at all, really. Well, you can kill us, but we'll just... We'll be raised to life again on the last day as well, like Jesus was raised to life. So it doesn't have an effect on them, and they carried on preaching. Usually, threatening to kill someone to stop them doing something would tend to work. Um, With with, um, my son Joshua, it doesn't need anything near that extreme. I just threaten to take his iPod off him, and it usually has the desired effect. You know, you can threaten, if you don't stop doing this, then this will be the consequence. Well, this was a big consequence, but it didn't stop them. It didn't stop them. They said, well, we can't do anything but proclaim the name of Jesus, proclaim and preach his resurrection. And so they continued to preach and teach, and more and more people believed. And most of these apostles, most of these early followers of Jesus, the disciples, they did get killed for their faith. They did end up, some of them being crucified themselves. Some of them ended up being killed in other ways. But not one of them said, at the point of their death, not one of them said, do you know what? It's all a lie. I'm going to renounce it all. I'm going to turn back. I want my life to be saved. Not one of them did. They were absolutely convinced beyond all doubt. And they carried on preaching the gospel of Christ right until the end. Some people have argued that these, peop- these men, uh, these followers of Jesus, the disciples, they stole the body of Jesus from the tomb. Some people have argued that, well, that must be the case. They just, they just snuck down and they stole the body. That's ridiculous. There's no way that they would have gone to their death for a lie, knowing that they'd taken the body themselves. I mean, why, why would they have even gone round preaching that Jesus was alive? Their leader had died. They'd got huge opposition and persecution stirred up against them. Why wouldn't they just go back to their old lives as fishermen and tax collectors? Or or even if they're going to speak about Jesus and talk about him, why not just say, you know, Jesus, he was a great man while he lived. He taught some great things. Why didn't they just go and re-preach the Sermon on the Mount? Some people say that's the greatest message that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, why not? Why not just spend their lives re-preaching and teaching that? Teaching some of the great things that Jesus taught about loving one another and, 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 and loving God and all of those things. That's what, 
that's what many other people do. But his followers didn't preach that in the way that Buddhists might teach what Buddha said. They preached he was the son of God. They preached that he died for our sins. And they preached he was raised from the dead. Why on earth would they preach and proclaim that unless it was true? Why? And if they were going to do that, well then surely it would make sense to go back to Galilee. To get well away from Jerusalem, well away from where all of the, of, 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 of the opposition was and where Jesus was actually killed themselves. Go somewhere quiet. There's no social media about those days. We can go back and we can, t- and we can tell people, well, this is what happened. And we can kind of, they'll believe us. They didn't do that. The place where there was so much opposition was exactly where they stayed. If the authorities had taken Jesus' body and Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, they could have produced him at any moment. If they'd not seen Jesus alive themselves, no, beyond all shadow of a doubt, they would have been saying, well, we can preach that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but what if the authorities took him? And at any minute, they're going to bring out the body. And they're going to say, look, it's all a lie. And turn everyone against us. But they knew that wasn't going to happen because they'd seen him. They'd seen him. And the authorities never produced a body, even though they wanted to shut it down at all costs. Then Paul says he appeared, Jesus appeared to 500 other people. This is no hallucination. Some people have suggested, oh, people were hallucinating. They just imagined that they saw Jesus. 500 people? 500 people don't have a hallucination of the same thing? These people knew it wasn't fake. Paul was saying, a few people have died, but many of them are alive today. What's he really saying? Go and talk to them if you're not sure. Go and seek them out. Who's the, who are the men and women who saw Jesus? Tell us the story. They could still tell the story in those days. They knew it wasn't fake. And then these followers of Jesus, they start worshipping God on a Sunday. The day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, why break? They were good Jews. Why break one of the Ten Commandments of keeping the Sabbath day holy, which was Saturday, Friday evening through to Saturday evening? Why do they switch and start worshipping God on a Sunday if there wasn't something amazing that had happened on that first Easter Sunday? Then Paul says, Jesus appeared to James, the brother of Jesus. James didn't even believe, James didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God when he was alive. James and his brothers thought that Jesus was crazy. Some of the things that he was teaching and doing. His mother thought he was crazy as well. They got concerned about him. But after the resurrection, after he died and was raised, Jesus' brothers and his mother started worshipping him as God. That's a bigger miracle than anything. Can you imagine what it would take for your brothers to worship you as God? For your mother to worship you as God? Your mother knows you more than anyone else. That's the last person who's going to start to worship you as God unless something so significant has happened that is going to change their mind. James, Jude, Mary... They start worshipping Jesus 
as God. And then finally, he appears to Paul himself. Paul was the one who persecuted the early church. He was often known as Saul. He was standing there when Stephen was stoned to death. He wanted to put an end to the church. He wanted to stamp the whole thing out. He was adamant, even though he would have known there was no body and everything, but he was like, there must be some other explanation. He was adamant he's going to end this. He's going to kill the followers of Jesus. The whole thing's going to end until he encountered the risen Lord Jesus himself on the Damascus Road. And his life was completely turned around. Why would someone like Paul go from killing Christians to preaching about the risen Lord Jesus, to trying to convert people to the faith? What would have changed his mind? What possibly could have changed his mind and changed his actions so dramatically apart from an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus? It would be like some of the leaders of of ISIS, or in the past, someone like Osama bin Laden, suddenly appearing on TV and saying, sorry, do you know what? Jesus has just appeared to me and shown me that I've just been wrong this whole time. So, you know, I'm I'm starting up a church, and I want to invite you all to come and join me, and I'm going to lay hands on you, and I'm I'm going to talk about forgiveness. We'll share communion together, and, and I'll pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, like, It would be of that magnitude. Can you imagine? Someone who's gone all out to persecute and kill believers. These people, Paul, James, they were radically changed. They, They weren't even struggling to come to terms like the disciples were with their leader being gone. They weren't so invested in following Jesus that they were like, well, life's how can we live our life now? Because we invested so much in this. They hadn't. Paul hadn't invested in that. Yet, his life changes. There have been other theories about what happened to Jesus' bodies over the years. Some people say, well, he never died in the first place. But that's just... The authorities would have made certain that he was dead. And to think that Jesus would have been almost dead, wrapped up in clods, like mummified, all including his face, so he wouldn't have even been able to breathe and, and, and put in the tomb, this big stone put there. Like it would have been, you know, it's kind of the Houdini type thing, but he's been hung on a cross for hours. How could he have got out of those in a severely weakened state, roll back the stone, get back to his disciples. Even if he'd have done that, it's impossible to believe that someone who'd crawled half dead out of a tomb, kind of crept about weak and sick, wanting medical treatment, needed bandaging, strengthening, comfort, and then, and then eventually died again, which I presume is what people would believe. How, how could he have given the impression to the disciples that he was a conqueror of death and the grave? How, are they, how could he convince them that he was the prince of life? And that was what they proclaimed him to be. There's no way. There's no way. So Paul argues his case for the resurrection of Jesus, even though for the Corinthians, these are just reminders. For us, hopefully they are convincing. Because it's overwhelming is the evidence. There's no other logical explanation, even looking at the facts like that 
as to what could have happened to Jesus' body. And so Paul says, look, if you think that we as believers in Christ are not going to be raised from the dead, then, then that means Christ hasn't been either. And that's ridiculous. If Christ hasn't been raised, then this is where we're at. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless. Our preaching is useless. I mean, what's the point? What's the point of being here? Why are you here this morning listening to this message if Christ hasn't been raised? There's no point. You should have better things to do. We should take our Bibles and especially the New Testament, which, which just talks about Jesus and his resurrection and the implications on that for our life. We should just toss it in the garbage. It's a waste of time, isn't it? It's a waste of energy. A bunch of lies. If Jesus didn't rise, there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to preach about. There is no Christianity. There is no church. There is no truth. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no heaven. There's no hell. There's no hope. There's no point. If Jesus isn't alive, let's go and do something else. Paul says if Christ hasn't been raised, our faith is useless. It won't do us any good. We're just believing a myth. It's our imagination. It's just wishful thinking. It's optimism. If Christ hasn't been raised, then we are false witnesses. We're liars. Why listen to a bunch of liars? Don't bother. Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, we're still in our sins. There's no hope for us. There's no hope for us to be able to break the habits and the patterns of sin that we all fall into. If Jesus is dead, Christianity is worthless. It's good for nothing. It accomplishes nothing. It's no help to us at all. Because Christianity says, well, Jesus is a God who became a human being. God made man, who lived a sinless life, who died in our place on the cross as a substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. And three days later, he rose to conquer Satan, to conquer sin, to conquer death, and to forgive us all, to allow us to go to heaven with him, to be with Christ forever, to be with God the Father. If Jesus is still dead, it's all worthless. It doesn't matter. There is no hope. If Jesus is dead, we're all doomed. Christianity is a waste of time. More than that, he says, if Jesus is still dead, our sin cannot be forgiven by God. It will not be forgiven by God. We're lost. We're dead in our sins. We can't change. We're stuck. There's no hope. And Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, everyone who's died, everyone who's died before now in Christ is lost. That's it. They're in the ground. There's no point in people saying, oh, well, they're in a better place now. No, they're not. How's a hole a better place? In the ground. If there's no resurrection. How's that better? If Jesus Christ is still in the grave, then death wins. Death wins. And death will defeat us all. I mean, that's our biggest fear, isn't it? 
That's humanity's biggest fear. We will do anything we can to avoid death. We all fear it. That's why, we, that's why we put so many safety things in place. That's why we buckle up and have airbags in our cars. It's why we eat healthily, even though some of the healthy food isn't particularly very tasty. Um, just because just we want to prolong our lives. We want to we keep going. It's why some crazy people freeze themselves cryogenically until some sort of cure for death will be found one day. Let me tell you, there is no other cure for death other than what Jesus already found. We can do everything we can to try and live longer, but in the end, death defeats us all. And if death beat Jesus, then death will beat us. We're not going to do any better than Jesus did. We can only follow in Jesus' path, and if death beat Jesus, then that's it. If Jesus' body lay mouldering in Joseph's tomb and is now forgotten and is dust, then death is victorious. Death is final. There's no good news for the dying however much we might want to comfort. If we only, only have a ghost as a savior, then we only have a dream about heaven. There's no reality. Some people say about Christianity, oh, well, it's great if it works for you. If it works for you, that's great. I'll, I'll do what works for me. Well, what's great about it if, it doesn't, if there's no defeating of death? There's nothing great about it. It doesn't work. Because if, 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 it's, if it's not true, then you die and you don't get to rise and you don't get to be forgiven and you don't get to be with God and you don't get to go to heaven. It doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for us. It either works right into eternity or it doesn't work. Paul says if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we of all people are the most to be pitied. If you're looking at everyone in the face of the earth, who are the people we're going to pity the most? If there's no resurrection from dead, we're the ones to be pitied the most because we're giving our lives for a lie. And we're living our lives in a way that is foolishness if this is all there is. If life's this short, why would we waste any of it going to church telling others about Jesus, facing persecution, as Paul talks about, opposition, being misunderstood, having to abstain from sex and drugs and all these other things. Paul says later on in this chapter, this very chapter towards um, verse uh, 32, if he says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? He says, I face death every day. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Good advice. If the dead are not raised, that's what we should do. Let's eat and drink and enjoy ourselves and make the most of every opportunity like everyone else does, because tomorrow we're going to die, and that's it. Our life's no better if Christianity is just a way of life for this earth. Go out, check off some items on your bucket list, Live like there's no tomorrow. That's what we should do if there's no resurrection from the dead. If Christ hasn't been raised, we should just embrace the inevitability that life is bleak and terrible and short and awful and painful and horrible and we should stop medicating ourselves with false hope. But Paul goes on to say in verse 20, 
but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has been indeed raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who've fallen asleep. He's going to be the first, and there's others who will follow. It's a sure and certain sign, because Christ's been raised, we too will be raised, and we will have eternity with him, and we will reign with him in his kingdom. And so he's saying how we live now is hugely relevant. How we choose to live our lives now is hugely relevant. Because if Christ has been raised, because he has been raised, then our preaching isn't useless. It's powerful. It's of ultimate importance. It's proclaiming the truth that will save people from their sins, from death. We preach to a world that doesn't know much about truth, but we proclaim Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Because Christ's been raised, our faith is sure. Our faith is certain. We won't be disappointed, church, in what we hope for. Whatever the circumstances of our life, whatever struggles and trials we go through, Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. Because Christ has been raised, we're not liars. But we proclaim truth that will lead people to salvation. We're not to be pitied above all people. We're to be envied above all people. Because Christ has been raised, we are free from our sins. They no longer have power over us. We've died to our old selves. We've died to that way of life. We've been raised to a new life in Christ. We've been filled with his spirit so that we are able to live holy lives, pleasing to God. We can know God's cleansing. We can know his forgiveness. Whatever we've done, Paul murdered Christians, yet he was forgiven completely. He was completely forgiven. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He was completely restored. They started the early church. That's a sign that our sins are wiped clean before God. We don't have to think, well, I've done too much. No, you haven't. Jesus has done far more for you. Jesus has done far more for you. We can know that cleansing of our filthiness and we can be declared right before God. And because Christ has been raised, then everyone who has died in Christ will be raised. There's a heavenly hope for them. When they die, we know they will be raised again on the last day because Jesus rose from the dead. So I know I'll rise with Jesus too. And I know the Bible says I'll live forever in a new glorified body, a body that will not be stained with sin and the curse. And there won't be pain anymore and there won't be sickness and suffering and death and disease and mourning and sadness. They'll be done, gone, and it will be wonderful. So Paul says, come on church, come on church. In the light of all this, Press in to what God has for you. Live your lives together in holiness and dedication to God. Stand firm in your struggles. He says, right back at the start of this passage, hold firmly to this truth. Hold on to it firmly. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Hold firmly to it. Don't get sucked into the ways of the world 
and live as though this is all there is. Everyone else is lost in their sins. Of course everyone else is living the way they do. It makes sense that they do if they don't know Jesus. But don't get pulled into those things yourself. Church, hold firmly to the truth. He says in verse 34, verse 33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. In other words, stop hanging around people, stop befriending people who are going to lead you into sin when you know the way of life. Come back to your senses. It doesn't make sense what you're doing. It might make sense for these people what they're doing because they don't know the light. But you do. You know the truth. So come back to your senses. Start living as you ought. Stop sinning. It makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. But some people, they won't accept that. Even all that I've just said this morning, all the evidence for the resurrection, the fact that there is no other plausible explanation for it, the fact that if Jesus did raise from, was raised from the dead, that these things follow on logically and that there's hope for us and that we can live a new way. And some people will hear all of that, and maybe this is you even, and they'll say, do you know what? I just don't believe it. I've still got some questions about it. I, 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 I can't accept it. Do you know why many people say that? Because if they believe in the resurrection, then they know it means their lives are going to change. And some people, they don't want to change their lives. They say, if I believe in the resurrection, then I'll have to repent of my sin and obey Jesus. But if I can somehow convince myself that there is no resurrection, that, that I don't, then I don't have to stop sinning because this is all there is and I'm just going to make the most of it. Nothing's going to happen when I die. So I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live my life. It's a reason to keep doing the things that we want to do. Because sin is attractive. And sin is pleasurable. For a while. Until it kills us. There's so much evidence for the resurrection of, the Jesus, of Jesus, but so many people don't even look at it. Or they say, I don't believe it. Actually, what they're really saying is, I don't like it. I don't like it. Because I like having sex with different people. And I don't want to forgive my enemies. And I want to stay bitter and angry and, and seek retribution. And I don't want to stop getting drunk or getting high. And I don't want to stop doing what I want. And I want to be my own God and do whatever I want to be and do. I don't want any other God to judge me. I don't want any other God to look at my life and to evaluate me in some sort of criteria that isn't of my own making. I want to decide what's right and decide what's wrong and live according to that. I don't want anyone to tell me that they have the right to decide whether I go to heaven or to hell. That's the issue. For many people, that's the issue. And Paul says, come to your senses. Come to your senses. You can exchange yourself for Jesus. You can exchange hell for heaven. You can exchange slavery to sin for freedom in Christ. You can exchange disobedience for holiness. 
You can exchange death for life. But many don't want to. And Paul says, are you that foolish? Are you that foolish to think that because you question the truth or you choose not to believe the truth or reject it, that the truth stops being the truth suddenly? Just because we decide it's not true doesn't stop it being true. Come to your senses. The scriptures teach, eyewitnesses teach, former enemies of God teach that he was risen from the dead, that Jesus is Lord God, he's Savior, like he said he was, and he's alive today. So do you know what? You can pray to Jesus today. You can ask him to forgive you from your sin and your selfishness. You can ask him to cleanse you. You can ask him to make you a Christian today, a follower of Jesus. You can ask him to fill you with his spirit. And do you know what? He'll do it. He'll answer you because he's alive. He's alive today. And you'll find new life in Christ. And if you're already a Christian, but you've drifted in your walk with God, and you've started dabbling in sin and getting into all other things, maybe being pulled away by other people, you can pray to Jesus today. And he'll hear you. And he'll answer you. And he'll forgive you. Because he's alive. He's alive. And in a moment, we're going to sing to Jesus. And he'll hear us proclaiming his great name because he's alive. We're not singing to the air. We're singing to the risen Lord Jesus. And if we're in trouble and need help in life, he's there. And he can help us and he will help us because he's alive. And if things are going well for you, we can be glad and we can be joyous and we can have someone to praise. We can praise Jesus because he's alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Why don't we pray? Maybe the band wants to come back up. Jesus, I thank you. You are alive today. I thank you. We, we don't have to doubt it. We don't have to be unsure. It doesn't matter that we're 2,000 years on. We know you're alive. We know you're here. Jesus, I pray you'll come by your Holy Spirit now and you will convict people here. You will help us to process and apply the truth of your resurrection that results in changed lives. Lord, I pray that people right now will be set free from sin and darkness and only death and destruction into new life in you. God, be doing that now. Lord, soften people's hearts. Lord, where people would say, I want to do it my way, soften people's hearts. Lord, let them know your great love for them. Let them know that submitting to you is true freedom, that they'll find it. It's not bondage. It's freedom from bondage. And Lord, those of us who know you and who've wandered away, Lord, Help us to make decisions to follow you. 
to walk in your ways, to renounce sin. Lord, to live lives glorifying to you, to proclaim your name, your death, your resurrection until you come. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.